Our text this morning is John chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, and this is the word of Almighty God. Jesus is speaking here. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Pray with me, friends. Lord, as we study today, pray that you would do more than I expect. Enlivening hearts, encouraging souls, convicting, teaching, growing, doing things you can do and only you can do. That's our request in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. How many of y'all remember going to the doctor as a child Remember when they used to give you shots, like, all the time? Had to hate that, didn't you? I did. It hurt. Didn't want to let the doctor do it. But your parents told you, oh, you need to let the doctor do this, this painful thing. Why? Why did you have to do it? Because it's for your own good, right? Or maybe you can relate to the concept of taking really nasty-tasting medicine. Not as many shots are doled out in this generation, right? You don't want to swallow this stuff, but your parents tell you, oh, no, you should do it. It'll make you feel better. And if you really thought it through, it was true. The pain, the the nasty medicine, really did work for your good, for the most part. Well, in the passage we are studying today, Jesus is telling the disciples about a thing that they do not want to experience. He's telling them about something that will hurt them. He's telling them about something that is distasteful to them. But he's telling them that when it's all said and done... They're going to benefit from it. John 14 begins with Jesus telling his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus has been telling the disciples he's about to leave them to go to his father. Disciples don't really understand what he's talking about, but they don't like it. They don't want to be apart from Jesus. They don't want him to leave them behind. Jesus is so, is they're just offering them Words of comfort. He's saying, guys, when this is all over, it's going to be better. It's going to be for your good. You will be better off if I leave you. 
Does that sound weird to you? Let's consider. You ever wished that Jesus would come to you? Like personally, visibly, bodily? Have you never longed to see Jesus with your physical eyes or to hear his voice with your physical ears or to just to sit down with Jesus and share a meal? You ever had that thought before? I'd be surprised if all Christians haven't thought that way at one point or another. But Jesus would say to you, just like he told his disciples, it's better for you that he not do that right now. It's better for you that he chose to go to the cross and that he is now seated on the throne of heaven. Yes, Jesus is alive. Yes, Jesus conquered the grave. But it is still better that Jesus not be physically present with you now. By the way, you know one of the ways I know it's better that Jesus not be physically present with you right now? Because he hasn't come back yet. Jesus always does what's best. But I would think that for any disciple hearing that it's good for you that Jesus not be physically with you just now, there are probably two questions that come to mind. One, you might wonder why in the world would that be good? How in the world could that possibly be good? Because it doesn't sound good, does it? And second, we may wonder how are we supposed to live to the glory of Jesus, without Jesus physically right here with us to tell us what to do. Well, let's keep walking through the Savior's words of comfort to the disciples in John 14 in the upper room. And as we watch, we'll uncover four points that should help us to live for Jesus' glory and to find comfort in the triune God. Our first point, love God through obedience. Point number one is love God through obedience. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, in the past few minutes, Jesus has said some profound things to the disciples. He's told them he's leaving them to go prepare a place for them to be with him forever. The Lord told his followers that to know him is to know the way, the truth, and the life. The Savior highlighted the fact that he and the Father are one, and to know Jesus is to know God. Jesus even told the disciples, you guys are soon going to be doing miracles greater than any of the miracles you've seen me do on earth if only you ask the Father in my name. And just in case you wonder if Jesus is just calling the disciples to use his name like a magic word, a secret code that unlocks the power of God. Jesus tells us, how do you show that you love him? If you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. You guys see that in the word right there, right? You know I'm not making it up. Let me tell you first what it doesn't mean? What does this not mean? Jesus is not telling you here that you earn your way to God by obeying God's commands. The word of God is very clear. You cannot do that, right? Romans 3.20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, 
By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No human being has ever moved from being a sinner to being in the favor of God by them doing good deeds. It's an impossibility. The only way that we're ever made right with God is by resting our full hope for our full eternity on Jesus and what Jesus has done. Jesus lived, he died, he rose from the grave to bring about our rescue. And the only people who are ever going to be rescued are the ones who come to Jesus in faith. He is, after all, the way, the truth, and the life. So when Jesus says to us, if we love him, we will keep his commands, he's talking to us about how we live once we have his mercy on our lives. The grace of God on your life is free. How many of you are happy that the grace of God is a free gift? But the grace of God on your life has never once been cheap. Jesus paid an unimaginable price to save your soul. And one result of you being saved is that the saved person loves Jesus. And now we see that the one who loves Jesus obeys his commandments. Jesus brings grace through faith alone. Everyone who knows Jesus will want to please Jesus by obeying him. We want the joy of glorifying our God. We want the soul-fulfilling pleasure of doing what God created us to do. So the life of a true believer is a life marked by obedience. Now, for sure, our obedience will not be perfect. How many of you, since you've been saved, have had perfect obedience? How many of you have failed at least once at being obedient post-salvation? Good. How many of you would have your spouses tell us about those? No, we won't do that. (laughs) Bottom line is, honest human beings, we will struggle, we will stumble, we will fall from time to time. We may even go through significant seasons of failure. Be honest with me. How many of you have gone through not just a moment of failure, but even perhaps a season of stupidity, (laughs) a season of failure post-salvation? Yeah. That's... That's the real world. We don't, we don't rejoice in that, but it's true, isn't it? With it said that we won't be perfect, the straightforward words of Jesus are true and not to be doubted. If you love Jesus, what will you do? You will obey his commandments. Not Obeying Jesus, therefore, is a sign of not loving Jesus. We at this church and in any faithful place will always preach the true gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But faith never remains alone. True faith is followed is accompanied by life change. So as we talk about the comfort that Jesus offers his disciples, let's remember 
he will repeatedly call us to love him as we follow him through obedience to his word. Have you come to Jesus in faith for salvation? If so, are you loving Jesus by actually you obeying his commands? Point number two. Rejoice in the believer's relationship with the Spirit. We're going to get three rejoices here. The first one is rejoice in the believer's relationship to the Spirit. Verses 16 and 17. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Keep your mind on where we were just before this. Jesus just told his disciples, you guys should be okay with me leaving you and returning to the Father because it will enable you to do incredible miracles in my name. And now Jesus tells them something else and this is really wonderful. He says, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send you another helper. Your translation might call him an advocate or a comforter. Jesus is going to ask God the Father to send the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus had not chosen to leave the disciples to go to the cross, to return to his place in heaven at the side of the Father, the Holy Spirit would never have come to the believer in the way that the Spirit is present with all of us. So for Jesus to return to the Father is a kindness to his followers. So ask this question, who is this spirit that Jesus says is going to be given to the followers? Well, look at his words. The Holy Spirit, this is so cool. The Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is a gift of the entire Holy Trinity. The Son asks the Father to give the gift. The Father gives the gift. The Spirit is the gift, triune gift. Isn't that cool? The spirit of truth, Jesus says, is another helper. The Greek word behind another here, it's a word that indicates something that's different from you, but of the same kind as you. There's another Greek word for something that's different than you and opposite of you, or different, like, different in kind. Jesus is saying I am going to ask the Father to send you a helper to my followers. I'm going to ask the Father to send my followers a helper who is not Jesus, but who is just like Jesus. And the help of this one to come is that he's going to be an advocate on your behalf. He's going to be a comforter for your souls. He's going to be a teller and teacher of truth to your life. So whatever Jesus is in his presence to his disciples in that room, the Spirit of God is for every person who believes in Jesus. But the Spirit has a quality to himself that is different than what the disciples experienced in Jesus because the Spirit remains with each believer forever. Ponder this, Jesus had to physically 
leave his disciples. Right? Jesus could not always be physically present with all 12 all at once. How do you know? Well, who went with Jesus up the mountain of transfiguration? Who went? Who knows? Peter? James? John? What were the other... 12 minus 3 is 9. What were the other 9 doing? They hung out at the bottom of the mountain. Who was not with them? Jesus. Right? They weren't there. They didn't see it. Get this. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who comes, is with every single one of Jesus' followers all at once, and he will never leave us. He will be with the followers of Jesus forever. Jesus says the world can't receive the Spirit of God because the world neither sees him nor knows him. You oppose God, you don't get the Spirit. The world around us is blind to the Spirit of God. The world around us does not have the joy of having the presence of the Spirit of God in their lives. But then finally, verse 17, Jesus says to the disciples, you're going to have a unique experience All believers get this unique experience. The Spirit of God does not merely live with the followers of Jesus. Look with your eyes at verse 17. What does Jesus say? He does not say he will be with you alone, does he? He'll be in you. The Spirit will live within the follower of Jesus. If you are a Christian, the Spirit of God does not surround you for some of the time. No, 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 no. The Spirit of God lives within you all of the time. So why is it good that Jesus went to the cross and sent the Holy Spirit? It's good because though the presence of Jesus was wonderful for the disciples... Jesus, while he has his body on, once he's incarnate, could only be in one place at one time, walking the earth. He, in his human side especially, could not personally be present with all the disciples all the time when they were in different places. Jesus was going to send the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to live within all of those who are the people of God. So we who know God are never, not ever, not ever, not ever cut off from the presence of the Almighty God. He is always with us, always within us, present to help us. It's like you've got Jesus walking beside you, but the Spirit is closer because he's present within you in your heart. This is a miracle, and we should thank God that Jesus went to the cross and sent to us as believers the Holy Spirit of truth. Third point, rejoice in the believer's relationship with the risen Lord Jesus. Verses 18 to 20, rejoice in our relationship with the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now again, you got to think the disciples of Jesus are wondering, how in the world is all that stuff supposed to take place? Because they don't totally grasp that Jesus is going to leave them tonight Go be arrested, go to the cross and die. 
They don't totally understand that Jesus is going to rise from the dead, spend 40 days more with them on earth, and then go up to heaven where he sits down alive on the throne of the universe. So Jesus helps the disciples by telling them what's about to come. Now, honestly, they probably miss most of it when he says it, but we can grasp it today. Verse 18, Jesus says to the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He is going to have to leave them. He's already told them that. But he said, I will not abandon you to be forever alone. I will leave and then I will return to you. What's he telling them? Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus is going to be killed right before their eyes. Jesus will die and they will feel like orphans. But Jesus will come to them because he will rise from the grave, because he will be alive again. He will stand in front of them again. Jesus is again going to lead the disciples, but he's going to leave them again 40 days later. But they're still not going to remain alone. Why? Because he's going to ask the Father to send to the followers of Jesus the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to live within them. So even though they may not be able to see Jesus anymore with their physical eyes, they will have the Spirit of God living right there inside their hearts. They will not be orphans because they will have God living within them. Verse 19, Jesus clarifies, In a little while, just a few hours to be precise, In a little while, the world will see Jesus no more. Why? They're going to crucify him. They're going to bury him. You ever thought about the fact that after Jesus came back from the dead, he did not physically appear to anybody that we don't know came to the faith. Jesus did not walk around Jerusalem and teach in his resurrected body. He did reveal himself to a few crowds One group of 500 from what we see in 1 Corinthians. But there's no evidence of Jesus going out and doing the kind of stuff he did before the crucifixion. The skeptical world, the lost world, will not see Jesus again after his death until he comes back to judge. But the disciples will see him. They will see him alive. They will see him risen from the grave. They will touch his hands. They will share meals with him. They will talk with him because he's going to be alive with them and they will watch him ascend to heaven. And Jesus tells the disciples that because he's alive, they're going to live too. The entirety of Christian hope is summed up in this concept Jesus rose from the grave and those who know Jesus need never fear the grave. If Jesus is alive, we live after our death because of him. If Jesus is alive physically now, which he is, all who trust in him are alive spiritually right now before God, not dead and separated from God. We have hope because and only because Jesus is alive. And then Jesus says something, again, marvelous. In that day, you will know that I'm in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So when we understand, when we believe that Jesus is back alive from the dead, something really awesome is going to happen. 
those who believe in Jesus, trusting in him for their soul salvation, will know a couple amazing things. First, they're going to understand that Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus. When you're saved and you study, you're going to learn that Jesus is God. You're going to grasp on some level that there is a unity between the man named Jesus who lived and died for our sins and the God who created this entire universe by speaking it into existence. Jesus is in the Father. The Father is in Jesus. The two are one, which, by the way, is exactly what Jesus wanted the disciples to learn from verses 9 to 11. You will begin to grasp the Trinity, the triune nature of God when you're saved by Jesus. But Jesus also takes it a step beyond what the disciples could grasp here. Not only will believers experience the understanding that the Father and Son are united, they will also grasp that if we know Jesus, we have God living within us. You will be in Jesus. Jesus will be in you. If Jesus is in the Father, then you are connected to the Father too. If the Father is in Jesus, the Father is going to live within you as well. And it all happens because God sends the Holy Spirit to live within his followers. And that is a good, good thing. Now, don't overplay the parallel here. Your union with Christ is not you becoming part of the Godhead. You're not going to be deified. You don't become a godling. But if you know Jesus, you are united in true, genuine family relationship with God. And that is a glorious, glorious thing. But the only way that can happen is because Jesus chose to go to the cross, leaving his disciples, sending the Holy Spirit. Fourth point, last one. Rejoice in the believer's relationship. What have we seen so far? Relationship with the Spirit, relationship with the Son. You want to guess what this last one is? Rejoice in our relationship with the Father. Jesus says in verse 21 and following, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So now we're in 21 to 24, and it echoes for us verse 15, where Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So let's return first to the thoughts from point number one. We love God through obedience to God once we've been saved by God. In this set of verses, Jesus helps us to understand something of what it means to love him, to obey him, to have joy. Do you want joy? Do you want joy? Then you need to understand loving Jesus. You want to understand loving Jesus? If so, you need to understand doing what he tells you to do in these verses. So Christians, if you want joy, if you want growth, pay attention right now, okay? Jesus said, to demonstrate our love for him, we must have and keep his commandments, his words. What's that mean? In a word, it means that we are to obey Jesus if we want to demonstrate love for Jesus. And to obey Jesus involves the two things, having 
and keeping his words. So let's talk about having his commandments first. To have the commands of Jesus means more than that you have access to them. How many of you own a Bible? Good. How many of you have one on your phone? Good. That means you, in one sense, have the words of Jesus, right? The words of Jesus are written down in your Bibles. By the way, quick side note, pet peeve. When I say that, I don't mean the letters that are read. I don't like red letter Bibles. <laughs> I love that you can see what Jesus said, but the bottom line is they almost act as if the words that Jesus spoke physically in the Gospels are more important than the words that Jesus inspired in Romans, and that ain't true. Now, off my pet peeve. The words of Jesus are written down in the Bible, and it's written down from Genesis all the way through Revelation because all Scripture is breathed out by God. But what Jesus is saying here involves more than you possessing a Bible. To have his words means that you grasp them. You understand them. You know them. To have Jesus' words is to have them in your mind and in your heart in such a way that you actually know what they are, what they mean, and how you can follow them. So here's your question, friends. What can you do to better have Jesus' words? Well, if you're going to have Jesus' words, you have to participate in regular, intentional, systematic Bible study. You're not going to know the words of Jesus if you don't regularly read your Bible. Understand me, I'm a blind guy, so when I say that, I don't mean it has to be with your eyes. You can listen to it read. It's okay. But if you're not taking the Bible into your brain, you're not doing your job. You will not understand the words of Jesus if you don't read the Bible prayerfully and seriously and in an orderly fashion. You need to read through books of the Bible. You don't just pick random places to start every day. I recommend using a reading plan. And if you're not a reading plan guy or gal, then at least be disciplined enough to read books in their context. What I mean by that is starting at the beginning and working your way through the book to the end is a good idea. And I'm not telling you here that you've got to start in Genesis and work your way through to Revelation. That's really hard to do. How many of you guys have ever tried a Bible in a year plan that started in Genesis and just went straight through? How many of you died in Leviticus? It happens. It just does. I get it. You need some New Testament and, and, and you need it earlier in the year. But I am going to say this. Starting with chapter 1 of a book is probably a better place to start than chapter 12. Right? How many of you read novels? If there's a novel that has 25 chapters, how many of you start in 13? Why not? Because it's dumb. You won't know what's going on. Same thing's true reading Matthew. Also, you're not going to have the words of Jesus, have the words of Jesus, if you don't add study to your reading. You want to talk about what are good commentaries and good study notes? Come talk to me. I'll help where I can. 
You need to be examining your thoughts about the Bible in the light of something faithful that expresses a sort of summary of them. That's why we use confessions like the the Second London Confession of 1689, right? You should, if you think, if you read your Bible and you come up with a doctrine, you ought to be testing it against faithful doctrine as it's been written in the past. Here's a good rule of thumb. If you come up with a thought about God that nobody else has ever thought before, you are wrong. That's what it is. You're not smarter than 2,000 years of church history. You're not. You may be really smart, but you're not that smart. I'm not saying confessions have authority over us at the same late weight as the Bible. They don't. But I would be willing to argue that the good doctrinal thoughts have probably already been written down. When you start to read a book of the Bible, take time. Look up an introduction to that book. Learn who wrote it, to whom they wrote. What are its key points? What are the key elements of the book? And study the Word of God by attending growth classes and D groups on a regular basis. Guys, you're missing good stuff if you're missing Sunday school here. And I'm not saying that to be self serving. But it would be better if you were here, if you could be. And you're, you're missing out if you're missing out on D groups. They're good. Don't neglect gathered worship in your desire to have the word of God. Look, the elders and I do what we do every Sunday because we want you to have a better grasp of the words of Jesus. When the words of Jesus are complicated, we work to try to make them simpler. When the theological concepts are deep, we try to bring them out so that you can see them. Don't fail to understand the word of God because you fail to make regular study and regular participation in worship part of your life. But having the words and studying the words is not enough. Would you agree with that? All right. Older folks, because young ones don't get this. How many of you guys remember when people used to buy exercise DVDs, videos? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you knew somebody that ordered P90X, right? You might have bought the beach body workout if you were into multi-level marketing. You might have picked up Arnold Schwarzenegger's pumping iron. Now, I want you to imagine for a second somebody ordered all those videos and watched them every single day. How healthy is that person going to be? Assume that they never moved and did any of the exercises, they just watched the videos every day. Would they be healthy? I think you can imagine then why it is that keeping the commandments is the next step. Once you understand the words of Jesus, you've got to press on. You've got to press in. It's not enough just to understand what Jesus said. You are to obey Jesus if you are to keep his commandments. I illustrated this way a long time ago. My kids love it. I want you to imagine on a day like today, which will happen on a day like today, that I say, Josiah, Take out the trash, please. It's in the garage. Take the trash out. 
If Josiah says to me, whoa, dad, that is deep, man. What if Josiah took, take out the trash and wrote it on a three by five index card and taped it to his mirror and memorized it? Taketh out the trasheth. What will he not have done? He will not have obeyed me, will he? Seeing it, saying it's deep, memorizing it, but not obeying it is not keeping the word of God. You might say to me, why should I obey? Jesus tells us in this passage, of first importance, you obey to show that you love Jesus. Verse verse 15, verse 21, verse 23, Jesus is clear that the ones who love God are the ones who obey his commands. Verse 24, Jesus assures us that the opposite is true. If you don't love God, you won't obey his commands. Let me just ask you, simple survey time. How many of you want to love God? How many of you want to love Jesus? If so, then obey his commands. It has to be part of your life. You don't obey to get saved, but saved people do obey. Let me add another benefit to this. Loving God in Christ. Jesus said in verses 16 and 17, he was going to send us the Holy Spirit to be with us while he's enthroned in heaven. Verse 18, he said, and through 20, he's not going to leave us as orphans. Now Jesus says that everyone who loves him will also have a close, loving relationship with God the Father. Because in verse 21, Jesus says that he and his Father will love those who love him. They will show themselves to him. Verse 23, Jesus goes even further. He says that the Father and the Son will live with, they will make their home with the person who loves and obeys his word. I was just reading this morning from a different sermon that that, um, that same Greek word there for make their home with you, it's right up there where Jesus said in the beginning of the chapter, I will prepare a place for you, a dwelling place for you. Same concept. Don't you want God to make his home with you? Don't you want your life to be surrounded by, loved by God? Don't you want the joy of the presence of God? You're only going to find true joy when you live in the presence of God. Yes, I understand every person is in the presence of God in a sense because God is omnipresent. But there's a big difference in being surrounded by the omnipresent God and you being in his favor so that he is truly present with you in fellowship. And when you know God is with you, that is a time of great joy, great peace, great purpose. If you want your life to feel like it matters, you need to live your life in the presence of God. And how do you do it? Jesus says you experience the presence of God when you love God and when you obey his word. Final note for the section here. One of the disciples is confused. He can't understand how Jesus is going to reveal himself only to the ones who love Jesus. He's thinking that Jesus is probably about to set up a kingdom on earth right then where he's the ruler and everybody has to bow down right now. So he can't fathom how how Jesus can reveal himself only to the ones who obey him. 
But what Judas, not Iscariot, does not understand is that Jesus is going to the cross and he's going to be building a very different kind of kingdom than what Judas expects. He's going to build a kingdom before the triumphal return that is a kingdom made up of the people of God, loving God, obeying God, having God living within them. Verse 24, Jesus points out that the ones who reject his word are not only disobeying him, they're also disobeying his father because to fail to love Jesus is to fail to love the Father. To fail to love Jesus and the Father is to fail to love God. To fail to love God is to reject God. And Jesus is very clear that if you reject God, you do not get to experience the joy of the presence of God. The world will not experience the joy of being in the presence of God. But all who refuse to come to God through Jesus will experience destruction because of their sin against God. So if you don't know Jesus, if you hear this, understand this, you're in deep, deep trouble before him. But I want you to know this too, you don't have to stay there. Jesus Christ invites you to be forgiven by coming to him in faith. Believe that you're a sinner, absolutely. Believe that Jesus did what it takes to rescue you and entrust your very soul to his care. Turn away from trying to be the master of your own life and ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Please be my Lord. Please be my master from now on. If you refuse that from Jesus, you will not experience his joy, but you will experience all of his wrath. And Christians, find joy by loving and obeying your God. Be amazed that the work of Jesus unites you to the triune God. Isn't that that amazing? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit live with you. They live in the lives of all who have come to Jesus. And that gives us great joy, great cause for comfort as we await the Savior's return. And that motivates us to know and to obey the commands of the Lord for God's glory and for our joy. Let's pray together. Lord, I am grateful again for your word. Truly, Lord, I feel like I feel like this concept is bigger than I could bring out today. But I pray that you by your spirit will bring it out so that we get it, so that we love you, so that we follow you, so that we are amazed by the presence of the spirit. Do your work in our hearts. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.